Hey, welcome back to uh, Horace Mann Middle School. Wow. Anybody with us when we started out here? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. You know, I was asking the Lord, you know, is there, is there something beyond practical reason? Obviously, we lost all our parking, and we're losing our children's rooms, and it was becoming very challenging to make it through the labyrinth of fences to, uh, to church on Sundays, but God, was there any other reason why we were moving back to Horace Mann? I, I sense God was saying, it's time to return to your roots, and you know, when we started here, there was just this passion for the person of Jesus and a hunger for revival, and that is what we want to be all about, and I don't know if you've been hearing what's been going on with our college students in our, in our Awaken service, uh, God is moving in an incredible, incredible way. Uh, numerous people are getting touched, getting healed. Uh, they're, they just started this week on their own initiative. We didn't encourage them to do this 24-7 prayer this week where some college student in our group is praying around the clock for a move of God. Uh, they're going on the, on the streets and uh, I've seen some people healed on the streets this past week. Um, numerous students are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's just a really exciting time of what God is doing. That's what we signed up for. We want to believe for a move of God. And um, I want to read a prophetic word about a, a move of God coming to this region. But before I do that, the, the other reason, though, is we want to be behind this school. And we want to be entrenched in this area. This week, uh, there was a, a student who died uh, at Horace Mann, uh, in this, uh, not at the school, but in the area. He was held up at gunpoint. He fled on a bike. He suffered a he head trauma, passed away. The school is broken. And we want to pray for them. And we want to stand with this community. That happened a couple months ago at Crawford. And uh, we were walking around the area, and I came upon a group of students who were just having a, a vigil for the Crawford student who died. Started talking with them, sharing with them, praying with them. A group surrounded me. You know what they asked, this, this group of students from Crawford? They said, Pastor, can you come back tonight and lead us in prayer? So this is what the students were asking for, is us to return. Uh, a couple of people went out on the streets that night. We invited them to our, our Christian club the next day. Uh, we had over 100 students the next day at our Christian club. Just, we were able to speak to them the comfort of Jesus. Scores of them came to Christ that week. So we just want to believe for what the enemy intends for evil, that God turns it for good. Amen. And we're believing for a move of God in this area. We're contending for his presence to come. Uh, one of the reasons they, uh, I was talking to the, the director of facilities here, and, and now she's just moved back to Crawford. She was here for like the day to get us in. And she said, you know, we want you guys on campus because when you leave for the rest of the week, we feel that presence that you leave here. Isn't that amazing? So I just want to encourage you, when you drive on to campus, which now we have plenty of parking spaces, did you notice that? Like there's maybe a thousand parking spaces. You can invite your friends now. There is room for your grandmother to drive on uh, and your friends and your friends once removed. So um, there is parking. Uh, we're, we're thankful. We're thankful to be back here. But when you, when you come on, ask for God to move. Ask for God to, to, to save these students to move, move in the lives of these teachers, this administration. Uh, let me read this prophetic word. I don't always read prophetic words, but 
I thought this one was, was so good. This is by a, a man who had lived in the San Diego area, a, a minister. He felt like God had promised him that there would be a revival in another uh, area. He moved to that, and uh, several months later, a revival came where tens of thousands of people came to Christ. Uh, power of God was poured out in very dramatic ways. Uh, that has uh, concluded there, but he moved back because he... God gave him this vision that there would be coming a move of God here. And so um, he was right one time. I really hope he's right again. Um, So let me read this to you. He starts by just saying, historically, God has released many things in Southern California that have gone to the nation, such as the Azusa Street Revival, the Jesus Movement Revival, the Charismatic Renewal. Here is the vision. Jesus himself was standing some 50 miles offshore in the Pacific Ocean. He appeared to be hundreds or even thousands of feet tall, and the waters were about waist high. He was facing the coast. Then he dipped his right hand into the water in front of himself and drew his hand backwards in the water. As he did, the tide dramatically went out. Then he reversed his hand motion, and a tsunami-type wave went over the coast and basically covered all of Southern California from the north of Los Angeles to the southern border, uh, to south to the border of Mexico. And from the coast all the way to the mountain ranges, every place was covered with water. And this is the Holy Spirit's water. Don't fear a natural disaster. Then the water went back out again, but there were a number of pools and reservoirs of the Holy Spirit that had not been there before, at least to that degree. I understood that those pools and reservoirs were churches and ministries that had made themselves low prior to the waves coming in through an emphasis on prayer and had been crying out to God to do something to them and through them that they were not capable of in and of themselves. In effect, they had been creating a resting place for God's Spirit. Don't you want to be that, church family? He writes on, this is what I understand so far about this vision. The five fingers of Jesus' hand in the water represented five distinct areas of kingdom activity that were going to increase. There would be an increase of evangelism. There would be a grace of restoration of estranged family members. There will be a revelation to to many in the body of Christ of God's holiness, uh, where the heart desire will be to live conformed to the image of Christ, free of sin and bondage. There'd be an increase in healings, miracles, and signs and wonders, like in the book of Acts. And lastly, a strong desire of many to gather together for corporate prayer meetings. Don't you want to believe for this? Don't you want to move of God? Just pray with me. Father, we love it when you step in. We love it when you move. This country's been marked by great awakenings. This state has been uh, marked by revivals, and that's what we want to believe for. We'll continue to ask and seek and knock. Lord, we want to see a move of God, and that's why even we're in this series called Come Holy Spirit. We love it, Holy Spirit, when you blow through a place. And that's what we're inviting you to do in Jesus' name. I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit, and many people in a move of God or as you discuss the person and work of the Holy Spirit, have this question. They ask this question, do I have the Holy Spirit? If someone asked you the question today, do you have the Holy Spirit, what would you point to? What would you say to them? Would you be confused or would you have a definitive answer? I want to get to the end of today's message and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with 
the Holy Spirit. Let me set it up with three different scenarios that I've experienced. When we were starting this church, and we started with zero people, and we started in my house before we moved to this small auditorium that seated about 80 people, but I started having some people that came to church. We started the church with all people, none of them had been to church. We didn't know anyone, so we were just walking the streets, sharing the gospel. People were coming to Christ. And then some people started uh, encountering us and started visiting people who had been believers for years. Within about a one-month period, I met with several different men who had actually been in church for some 30-odd years. They had been leaders in their church. But they all said something to this general tenor. They said, you know... Uh, Robert, I think I'm a Christian. I, I think I'm saved. I, I, I think I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I, I try to be a good person. I try to be a good Christian. Maybe you would find yourself in that group where you're like, I, I think I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I've been in church. Here's a second scenario. I was on a mission trip with a team of, our, uh, of college students in the Philippines, and we were on a boat heading out to an island, and it wasn't just our team, but there were also other, other Filipino people on the, the boat with us that we didn't know. And a woman engaged with some of our students, and she started asking this question to our, to our students. She, she said, oh, you're Christians. Do you, do you speak in tongues? And, you know, some of our students answered, yes, I speak in tongues. And some of them said, no, I don't. And she immediately points out the ones that said they don't, and she said, then you're not saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not a Christian. And so all of a sudden, I got this call. Robert, can you come here? <laughs> and uh, One more scenario. I was flying in on a plane uh, back into California, uh, talking to a woman. I said, what do you do? She goes, I do spiritual healing. I have this uh, organization in Hawaii. I said, oh, that's interesting. I do spiritual healing as well. Um, we do it every Sunday uh, up at church. And she said, well, uh, I said, so explain it to me. She goes, well, I, I, I channel spirit. Um, and so I started saying, okay, so what spirit? She's like, oh, you know, uh, uh, and I was talking about Jesus, and she, she wasn't. And so the question is, does she have the spirit if, if she's doing spiritual healing? Maybe that's a, a third group. Are you spiritual? And you wondered, well, do I have the Holy Spirit? Jesus unpacked a teaching in the book of John. The book of John has more about the Holy Spirit than any other gospel. And I want to look at his first exhaustive teaching starting in John 3 so we can understand when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit comes into someone's life. John 3, it starts this. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. So let me just set up the scenario. This is a very religious man named Nicodemus. Okay, this, this guy, he was religious. He had been in church his whole life. I mean, the Jewish young men had been raised in the synagogue. They were raised in religion, but he's a Pharisee, so he's actually been to a religion school, and then he's part of the, the ruling sect, so he's, he is a, a very schooled person, and he's a very important person. But he comes to Jesus to ask him a question. His, his name is Nicodemus. He comes at night. This is the first appearance of Nick at night. And so <clears throat> he, uh, he comes to Jesus, asks him, 
a question at night. And, and here's why I believe at night. I don't think he wanted people to see him. I, I think he was embarrassed. And, and, and you know, maybe, maybe you've been in this, ex, this situation for, for me. From the time I was born, I was at church. I, I bet the first week I was born, I was at church. I don't remember it, but I bet I was there. And, and, and I remember starting to, to know more about the kingdom and the Holy Spirit and thinking, man, I don't, I don't know all this. Like, I, I should. I've been in church forever, but I don't, I don't have the answers. And it was kind of embarrassing. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before. But can I just tell you that you don't have to have all the answers? You don't need to play religious. Play like you know it all here. That's why we say get rocked, get real. What this church values is you being real and you being authentic. You don't need to put on a, a, a religious face and facade when you come in here. And so what I love is Jesus actually takes the time to answer the guy. He's not like, Nick, <laughs> you joker, you idiot, you have no clue, peace out. No, he actually takes time to spend with this religious man who has a sincere question. And so the, 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 the thing that he says is, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Let me just tell you something about our church for a minute. We unapologetically press in for miracles. We unapologetically press in for miracles. By God's grace, we see miracles continually. Why do we press in? Because miracles reveal the glory of God. When someone sees a miracle, it pushes them past religion, where it's just about what they do, to lifting their eyes on Jesus to see what he does. Right, because miracles are supernatural and we serve a supernatural God. John chapter 14, Jesus says, believe in me when I say I'm from the Father or at least believe in, this, in the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus used miracles as evidence of his divinity. Jesus said these point to God, and then he said, you're going to do the same thing as evidence that you are from me, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We love miracles. One, they reveal God's glory. They put the church and they put the people in awe. Number two, they really help people. Miracles really help people. Like, I, I had a heart problem that I was dying from. I got supernaturally healed. The doctors didn't do it. They couldn't do it. I got healed. Guess what? I'm happy. A good father gives gifts to children. We love this. And so when this religious guy saw a miracle, he said, wow, that makes me hungry to know God more. Can I tell you, miracles do two things. For hungry people, it draws them near and turns their eyes to God. For religious skeptics, it makes them angry and offended. So when miracles start happening, there will always be naysayers, right? At Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, tongues of fire come on. They start speaking in tongues. A lot of people are drawn into the kingdom. Other people say they've had too much wine and they start making fun of them. Right? Uh, when Jesus is, is baptized, there's a voice from heaven. That's a miracle. A, a, a divine voice. But it says some said it thundered. There will always be people who explain away the miraculous and have disdain for it. But we want to press in and believe for it because that's the hand of a loving father. No one could see these signs you were doing if God were not with him. 
In reply, Jesus declared, now watch this. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Church family, our desire is to see the kingdom of God advance in our lives, in this church, in our city. We want to see the kingdom of God advance. We don't want to just do religion. How is that going to happen? The scripture says you must be born again. Jesus says it can't happen unless you are born again. Um, you know, some guys are really big fans of childbirth. Um, and what I mean is like, you're going, you're kind of confused. <clears throat> what I'm saying is they, they like love being in that moment with their wife when the child is born and they're like, oh my gosh, it's like the most magical moment. It's so amazing when the baby comes out. To me, it's like so scary and so gross. <laughs> like I, I love kids being born, so don't get me wrong, but what, I'm talking about the moment where the kid like comes out and they're slimy and they're bloody and I'm like, oh, just get them out as fast as you can. Like, this is not a magical moment. This is like a horror film. Ah! You know, you're, ah! <clears throat> so I just, I'm sorry if I'm like bursting your bubble, right? But, uh, and, and it's cool, like, be, be into it. That's cool. I'm just, I'm just saying for me, this is like really not part of the sermon right now. I'm just sharing. <laughs> but what's my point? My point is this. Um, when a child is born, it's very clear. Like, it's very dramatic, right? I mean, a child is born, and you're like, wow, that, that kid's born. Do we, have, do we have any pregnant women in the house? One? Yes. Uh, are you showing? Okay, will you stand up just for a second? And just turn sideways. Yes, look at that. Okay. These, um, the, the Robins, they're, they're amazing, and you... You can tell right now, like, that baby's just being so quiet and minding its manners right now. But when, when that baby comes out, we will know. Like, right? That, here's my point. Jesus relates, Jesus relates the Holy Spirit coming into someone's life as being born again. It's an actual experience that happens in someone's life. Now, Look at, look at what he says. Nicodemus goes, how can a man be born when he's old? I think Nicodemus was probably more like me. He goes, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, right? And he's like, this is kind of gross, and I don't want to go through that again, right, is, is what he's saying. And, and so then Jesus is going to explain it. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit, Okay, so this baby is living in water. It's amniotic fluid. The baby's going to be born of water, but he says you're also born of the Spirit. He's going to further expound on it. Flesh gives birth to, to flesh, okay? So Nikki's going to give birth to flesh. A woman is flesh, and then she gives birth to flesh, but, but a spirit, the spirit, and you see in, in, in my translation it's capitalized, the spirit gives birth to spirit, there's a flesh birth that you come into the world. It's very dramatic. You can tell it's happened. Then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes and gives birth to Spirit. Let me just be very clear. There are only two types of people on earth. 
There are those that are spiritually dead and those that are spiritually alive. There's no in-between. There's no other type. So you take someone who's very spiritual and they're even doing spiritual healing, but it's apart from Jesus, they are spiritually dead. Like they might be spiritually tapped into other spirit things, but they are not alive. They are not born of the Holy Spirit. They are not saved. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus continues. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I I get concerned when I hear Christians, and I've had through the years as we are very deliberate to share the gospel with people and as we're deliberate to go into all nations and make disciples as Jesus told us sometimes Christians will say well why do you do that why would you go Robert why are you going to Mexico why were we just in Thailand and I, I invite you come please jump in on one of these trips you will see the kingdom of God moving around you it's just absolutely amazing Why would you go into Southeast Asia? They have their own religion. They have Buddhism. Why would you go into the Middle East? They have Islam. I I would really ask, is that person an actual Christian who's asking that? Because Jesus says you must be born again. Jesus says you must be born again. And so... There is no other religion that leads to someone being born of the Spirit. He's going to further explain this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In college, towards my my junior or senior year, I don't remember which one, I, I took... A sailing class. Uh, maybe not the best use of money, um, but I had an elective that I needed to fill, and so I took a sailing class, and, and um, they uh, were college students. They didn't trust us with much. They gave us a little sunfish. It was about like five feet long. It's kind of embarrassing, right? Kind of like Gilligan out there. And um, You go out, and then you raise your sail, and, and when you're looking just at the sky, you cannot tell where the wind's going from. You put your sail up, and all of a sudden, it catches. The wind catches it, and you can tell which direction the wind is coming from, and then your boat starts being pushed. And Jesus is explaining, this is what being born of the Spirit is like. Because you can't see the Spirit, but you see the effects of it, and this is the person who's born of the Spirit, is they start experiencing the effects of the Holy Spirit coming in them, giving them life, and then he begins to move them. This is not a religion. Following Jesus is not just do A plus B plus C. Come in, stand up, sit down, do this, do that, do that. No, that's not it. He's saying, no, this is a a living relationship where it starts blowing you and you start moving with the invisible God. It's beautiful. And the world needs to see Christians that are like this because the world is not just looking for dead religion. The world is looking for an actual relationship with a living creator. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and we do not understand these things. And you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, 
we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Now Jesus is going to unpack this understanding of heavenly things. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now I need to just geek out on you just for a minute and look at the Greek of, of this text to help you understand what Jesus is actually saying. If you put the Greek up, um, this is talking kai udes ana bebnekein. And then if you look at the end, so it's Jesus is saying, and no one has gone up, Anna's up, up into heaven, to Uranan, into heaven, except for the one who has come down from heaven, okay? And then it says, the son of man, uh, to anthropos, is, is man or anthropo, aon in to orano. Okay, what does that mean? Who is in heaven is what it says. If you actually look at the Greek, it's really interesting. And no one's gone up into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the son of man who's in heaven. Whoa, Jesus, where are you right now? <clears throat> Here is why all other religions, who I love people of all other religions, but all other religions don't work. It's because they don't have a founder who was from heaven. Like, Jesus wasn't a man who just came on to earth. Jesus was eternally with the Father and created the world with him. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Then he comes down onto earth. He sets aside his godly qualities, but he comes down onto earth. But even while he's on earth, he says, he, he's saying, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. So positionally, he was always seated with the Father in heaven. So it's not you stepping into a religion, it's you receiving something from heaven when you're born again. That's different than any other religion. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. The Holy Spirit being born again is God coming into man's life. Are you following me? This is beautiful. This is different. You can't be good enough. First group over here. I, I think I'm saved. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. I try to be a good Christian. Wrong. You can never be good enough. You can't be a good enough Christian. You're either saved or you're not saved. You're saved if you do this. Keep watching. Just as Moses, verse 14, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Well, what is this? This is a story from the book of Numbers chapter 21, where the people of Israel are wandering around in the desert, they start complaining and sinning against God. So God releases poisonous vipers, poisonous snakes. They start biting and killing people. The people realize, oh my gosh, we need to turn back to God. And so God goes, here's the solution. Moses, take a pole, put a bronze snake on it. As people look up to this bronze snake, the snake symbolizes the punishment for sin. As they put in faith in me that I can take away the punishment of sin, I will heal them. And so Jesus says, I am just like that bronze snake up on a pole. I take the punishment for your sins. If you will look up to me on the cross, putting your faith in me, that I can take away the punishment, the death that you deserve, 
you will be saved. Watch this. For God so loved the world, verse 16, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The Bible says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Just like the Israelites, we all deserve the punishment for our sin, which is to die and spend eternity in hell. You deserve hell, he said lovingly. Welcome to church. (laughs) But God loves you too much to send you to hell. And so he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin. And so when Jesus was on the cross, he took the punishment that you deserved. Do you believe that you deserve to be punished for your sin? No just God can leave sin unpunished. If you want God to be good, then he has to punish evil. Because all the evil in the world deserves to be punished or God is not good. So God punishes evil, but he punishes it in his son, Jesus, on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for your sin because you could not be good enough. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God so loved the world, he so loved you, he so loves the city, he so loved the nations of the world, he loves people of every country, that he sent Jesus. And if we'll put our faith in him, we won't perish, but we'll have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. People say, well, Christians are so condemning. Well, Jesus isn't condemning. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save the world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You don't have to question anymore, am I good enough? It's not about you being good enough, it's about do you believe in him? Do you put your faith in him? Do you say, I have faith that he can take away my sin? That is what we're deciding here. Have I put my faith in Jesus? You will never be good enough. But it's never been about you earning your salvation. You put your faith in him, then the Holy Spirit comes in you and gives you new life. Answer to group one, no, you'll never be a good enough Christian, just receive him. Okay, answer to group number two. Well, do you speak in tongues? Well, that, that's really immaterial on receiving the Holy Spirit for salvation because you don't have to do something. You don't have to do something to receive. The, I, I, I'd love for everyone in here to speak in tongues. That'd be awesome. But that is not receive the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit come into my life? No, the Bible says it's you put your belief in him and you trust in him. And you won't be condemned. Listen to this. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son, third group. Yeah, but this person's spiritual. Well, this person, you know, they they believe in this and that, and they're just one with the spirits of the world. Yeah, but they don't have the Holy Spirit because that only comes through believing in God's son. I'm not trying to condemn them, but what I am saying is there's only one way. Jesus says there's only one way. You can't have Jesus and other. 
Jesus says, I am the one way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do you get it? How do you do it? You believe. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you can say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. What does that mean? It means God washes away your sin, and the Holy Spirit comes in your life and gives life to your spirit. So today, if there's people in this room, you've been wondering, do I, do I have the Holy Spirit? Am I saved? Or, or, or you're wondering, like, I've been hearing about the Holy Spirit and all the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit, and I don't have that, so I must not have the Holy Spirit. No, that, that's not true. We're going to talk more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit later on, but, but what we're talking about is, is the Holy Spirit living in you. If you put your faith in Jesus, you believe in him, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you can know that the Holy Spirit has come into your heart, and you're a new creation. Listen to this, though. It doesn't stop there. Romans 8, 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I just had a uh, very tender time this past week. <clears throat> I was gone last week uh, because I was, I was in Texas performing my dear grandmother's funeral. And uh, I'm as close to my grandmother as probably many people are to their mother. I grew up in her home. and um, I had a very tender relationship with her where I could go and I'd sit at the edge of her bed and talk to her. And, um, so it was, it was a, very, a deeply grieving time for me, but it was also such a joyous, a joyous time, because I knew she was in heaven, and um, it was one of those times, this is really cool, uh, that it wasn't just I know by faith that she was in heaven, there were some really cool things at the time of her death, that the family, I, I wasn't, I was still here, but the family gathered in, in the room as grandmother's breath was becoming labored, and um, as she's starting to breathe her last breath, all of a sudden, they just said loudly in the room on the, on the DVD player, uh, comes on, I've just seen Jesus, this song. And, and they said just, you know, the room just kind of filled up uh, with just, they sensed God's presence and everyone just starts crying. Uh, and they're just going, oh my goodness, it was just a holy moment. She breathes her last breath. They said this, the moment her last breath breathes, the song switches to the hallelujah chorus. <clears throat> Call it a coincidence. I just want to say, you try to play the soundtrack of your life. Um, <laughs> my, my mom and my sister both called me. They are crying, just saying it was unbelievable. They were like, God just gave us this gift. It was like we were experiencing what was going on in heaven on earth. Oh, I mean, it, it was so beautiful, and um, so I get to do her funeral, and I'm talking about the amazing things she's done, and, and, and my close uh, relationship with her, and 
but I, I come to the end, and I said, you know, the reason grandmother is in heaven, it's not because she gave away so much money and, and built a big orphanage, which she had done, or how much she had loved people and taken care of the poor, which she had done. I said, grandmother had prayed and asked Jesus to forgive her for her sins. I mean, here's, here's where you come to the end of your life, and this is one of those people that everyone just, they just had wonderful things to say because she had lived her whole life for God. But the reason she's in heaven is not because she was a great person. What grandmother knew, and she would have told you this, is that I'm going to heaven because Jesus forgave me for my sins. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty. And she would always pray, oh, Lord, forgive me for my sins. She lived in a constant understanding that Jesus is forgiving her and giving her new life. It's not by what you've done. It's by what he did for you. But then he doesn't just stop there. He says this, that, his spirit comes into us, and we don't have to be a slave again to fear. But we've received a spirit of sonship. Just like I could go and sit on that edge of that bed and, and, and be a grandson. Just like I, my kids can run to me with their arms open, and they know that I will lift them up. That is how God is saying he wants to be with you. Like you're not just saved and, and, and the penalty's done and the judge just hits the, hit, hits, hits the little hammer on the desk and says, okay, forgiven. Like some of us have lived that kind of relationship with God. And, and, and that's awesome that your sins are forgiven, but do you see what it's saying? It's saying for you to not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but a, a, you've received the spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. Like, because of what Jesus did on the cross, if you will cry out to him, you can call him daddy. You can call the creator of the universe daddy. Daddy. Like, he wants you to know him as daddy. And it goes on to say this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Just as you are born physically and you're looking at yourself going, yeah, I'm alive, here I am. God wants you to have this assurance of your salvation. That you would call out to him, that he would come into you, and then the spirit inside of you would testify, I belong to God. Like, you can live in that. You don't have to live in this place of shame and condemnation. Am I good enough? And no, you can cry out to God and say, I need you, Father. I need the, the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I need that salvation. He puts his spirit in you, and you're made alive, and you understand that you live as a beloved child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I long for a church who's not trying to earn their salvation or not living in this place of you know one foot in the world and one foot in God but they live as dearly beloved children who know that the Holy Spirit lives in them because they've confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord they believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead and they've received that free gift of salvation so I want to finish our time and, and we'll continue on and we'll talk more about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit but today I want to talk about you receiving the Holy Spirit into your life. And some of you have been in church for years, and you need to nail that down. People, tons of people did that in the last couple services. You need to nail that down. Some of you, you've been spiritual, but it's time to move past spiritual to being a son or daughter of the Lord. Some of you have been like, ah, oh, I just live in this place of unconfidence because I, I don't move in this gift or move in that gift. No, it's not about that. It's have you looked to Jesus on the cross? Have you proclaimed that he's Lord? Have you received his gift? And then you're saved once and for all. 
So I want you to stand with me, please. And I want you to close your eyes. This is the most important moment of the morning. You might have been to church a thousand times. But there's people this morning that need to nail this down. And I'd ask that every eye would be closed. I want you to nail this down. If today you want to proclaim Jesus as Lord, if you want to cross that line, if you want to know that the Holy Spirit's coming into your heart, it's not about you being good enough. It's not about you doing anything else. It's about you looking to Jesus and saying, I can't save myself, but I receive your gift on the cross, and I invite you into my life to be my Lord. And the Bible says that you're born again. You're born of the Spirit. If that's what you want, I want you to pray with me now. Just repeat these words and just repeat them softly after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying for my sin. I receive your gift of salvation. Place your Holy Spirit in my heart. And I'll follow you forever. While eyes are closed, I want to pray for you today. If that's you, you're saying, yeah, I'm making that decision. I'm asking Jesus to come into my life. I just want you to boldly raise your hand right now. I want eyes closed, but I'm going to pray for you. Just boldly raise your hand all over this room. There's tons of hands going up. Just boldly raise your hand. Keep it up. I'm going to pray for all those ones. Just so many. Who else? Who else? Just raise your hand. If that's you today, you're saying, yes, I need that gift. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt for the rest of my life that I belong to Jesus. Just raise your hand. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for these numbers and numbers of hands that are up all over this room. Lord, we thank you how great is your salvation. And I pray an assurance of their salvation now, that you're coming in their heart, that you're setting them free by the death on the cross, that you are washing them clean, that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you're removing their sins from them. I thank you for that, Lord Jesus, that they never have to worry again. In Jesus' name. If you had your hand up, why don't you just come forward right now. Prayer team, come forward. Life group leaders, come forward. I want to give you a free book that talks about, let's give the Lord a hand for all the people. Uh, We have books. Come on forward if that's you. If you're raising your hand, just want to invite you forward. We also want to pray for you if, if you...